1: I'm Alana Hughes and welcome to LawPod Student Focus. This is the second of our Student Focus episodes. We're continuing the conversation we started in the last episode about study choices and gender imbalances in family law. I'm joined by Seamus Mulholland, a family law specialist from the Bar of Northern Ireland. Hello Seamus, thank you for coming in.
0: Thank you very much for having me here.
1: Um, Do you just want to talk briefly about, you know, your practice and your pathway to where you are now for our listeners?
0: Yes, well... uh I I was looking back, so I, I saw the question that you'd asked earlier, why did I become a barrister? And uh, I was looking back to when I actually made the decision to um, go down the law route anyway. And um, I, I think I can trace it back to a specific Sunday dinner right, okay. where I was around the table with my family and we'd started to debate about something. And my mother said to me, I think you actually might like to go into law or politics, some, something where you have to have a bit of argument. And I, I'd always thought that I would go into computers or teaching or something like that. But um, slowly but surely, the seed for law started to grow and I wanted to do something with it. And then whenever I graduated from Queen's, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Partly I thought maybe a PhD, but I also did the bar exam and I got it. So I thought, well, I'll go ahead with this for the time being. Mostly because I was happy that it meant I would be able to straddle two horses. I'd be able to continue to do some academic work if I could find it, but also practice at the bar. So that's what I decided to do. Um, I was called to the bar in 2012 and then between 2014-2015 I was back at Queen's working on a project with uh, Sarah Ramshaw and Catherine McNeely. Catherine McNeely who's now um, permanent staff at Queen's and we worked on a project about family law as well so I got to do it from an academic and a a practical standpoint.
1: And really blend both of those aspects of your work together absolutely really they, really, they well. really did. Yeah. So
0: the the judges and practitioners that I was coming across in practice, I was now seeing um, for interviews and roundtable discussions at Queens, and we were looking at how we might improve the situation for children specifically in care and supervision order proceedings.
1: And That's amazing. It's, it's a great it's a great way to keep yourself involved in what you love doing at university, the academia, academia but also start your career at the bar. That's and, right, and keep you know try to get a good start, head start, and everything. Yes, In terms of that um, way, yeah. it,
0: it's something that the bar really facilitates because you're self-employed, you can do that, you have the choice about how much work you take on and if you want to still do a bit of academic work, you certainly can do that. So I did that and then this year I've been able to do some tutoring at Queen's and I've also done some lecturing at Ulster. So yeah, you, you certainly can do a lot of staff if you go to the bar.
1: Fantastic. So I'm um, I'm really intrigued to find out um, why family law. But first of all, I suppose a good place to start with a discussion might be if I said to you, um, family law is an area of law that only women should study or practice. It's not really an area of law that men should should be involved in. You know, which is obviously a myth. Um, but what words come to your mind in response to that myth?
0: It, it, there's three different words that I've I've got. Well, first of all, it's pervasive, as in on the ground, certainly there's there's an element of reality to it, the reality is that there are a lot of women who practice in family law and there are a lot of men who practice in criminal law and that's slowly changing and that, that's certainly a good thing. Um, so it's been pervasive historically but it's been deeply regrettable that that's been the case because, uh, well I know that there's been great pushes that the bench should be representative of society and I think it's only right that the bar should be as well. We can't have hermetically sealed bars. That the criminal bars only male, and the family bars all female. for For the last while, that hasn't been the case. In any event, we've definitely been making progress that way. But I think clients and everyone benefits from having society properly represented in the family court, and w- without proper representation on all the different uh, characters that humans have, uh, then then you don't get a properly representative uh, decision making. I don't think. Um. So as I say, first of all, it's pervasive, but regrettable that that's been the way of it. But it's certainly changing. And I know that uh, amongst my colleagues, um, I'm just approaching six years call, plenty of my young male colleagues do family work and enjoy it massively.
1: Yeah. And I suppose if you start to delve into the myth a little bit more and think about why it is that people seem to think that men can't do this work or men shouldn't do this work or more that women are the only people that should be doing it, yes. Um Is it because it's associated with emotions very heavily? It's associated with children. It's associated with um, complex issues within families and women are just deemed to be more appropriate to deal with that sort of thing. Obviously, we would dispute that. Um, So in disputing that, what key attributes do you think that you need as a family law barrister, regardless of being a woman or regardless of being a man, but just to be able to do your job and do it well?
0: I think, first of all, you have to look at the reality. The reality is that most family issues are contact issues with children, and normally it will be a mother and a father. So there will inevitably be a male there. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it does seem strange. I, I've spoken to especially fathers who find it frustrating that they only see women around the courts, and they they think that's just odd that they, they don't see as many men as they would have liked to have seen. Um, I I think that what any barrister, male or female, needs to bring to a family law case is clarity because the cases are incredibly complex. Uh, I I, I said to you that I worked on that project with Catherine McNeely and Sarah Ramshaw and um, what we were looking at was improvisation and how you improvise in cases and um, ultimately what we found was that that's something that the best barristers do. So those members of the junior bar who wish to take silk are very good at improvising, so they don't go in with prepared things. They
1: Yeah, reading off their cuff sort of thing. No,
0: th- there's no speeches to yeah. be made or anything like that. There, You go in and you deal with the situation as it, that's there before as you. As it unfolds. Yeah, and in comparison to other areas of law, family law is certainly more difficult in the sense that there is not a single crystallised event. So in criminal law you can say a crime took place on such and such a date. In tort law you can say, well, an injury occurred. But in family law you can't say that. So there's a family life that goes on for the duration of the case and you have to have clarity to identify what the issues are and to take in everything that you're being told but understand what the legal issues are and how you're going to um, improve the situation for the child who's the subject of the proceedings. Um, but you have to do that in, in a very tactful way because your clients are going to want to tell you everything about their lives and that's incredibly, uh, an incredibly privileged position to be in to get access to all areas and to find out how their lives are going. Um, But working with that's incredibly difficult because it's just such a volume of material to work through.
1: Yeah. And as you say, they want to tell you everything about their lives. And, you know, whilst that's, as you say, incredible experience and uh, they place a lot of trust with you in doing so, not everything is relevant to the case. And it's your job then to decide what is relevant based on the legal knowledge that you have so that's sort of what i'm interested in as well you know what do you find legally challenging about your work within family law what legal issues and you spoke about the research project and i mean if you could tell me more about that that bit that'd be really interesting um
0: well it's the, the, the single biggest thing that came out of that project was the need to improvise in court especially in family cases because you you simply don't know until you get to the, to actually run in a case what all is completely relevant. I mean, clients won't, Sometimes clients won't have told you something that actually turns out to be incredibly relevant um, because they are very upset about it or they just didn't see it a certain way until there's a challenge made against them. They didn't, they didn't look at their parenting and think about it like that. Um, but the, the single biggest contribution that I think lawyers of any kind, but especially barristers if they're running the cases in the end, the biggest contribution you can make is to bring the rigour of the law to it as early as possible in terms of can we actually get a workable agreement in place to solve this. Uh, So in one sense you're bringing the law to it, but not the harshness of the law, as in you're trying to avoid a really rough hearing where everyone beds down in in contractible sides and uh, life becomes much harder Um, if you can work out a settlement of some sort earlier on that everyone can live with. That's a big achievement. Also, if you if you can't do that, then you bring in a third person. You bring in the judge. No one knows what the judge has been thinking to date, what the judge is going to do. So, uh, you know, counsel for two sides can find that actually, the judge brings in some other aspect of the case that they weren't expecting to be there, and that that complicates things and makes it more difficult. Um, even the process itself, you know, cross examination, is not a pleasant experience for anyone. So if the lawyers can sort it out before that, that's certainly to be commended.
1: So would you agree then if I said, based on what you've just said, the legal challenge in your work, a lot of it revolves around making the law work for people and making the law or allowing the law, facilitating the law to provide the remedy and the answers and the solution to these situations that people really need and just to allow them to continue on with their life.
0: That's exactly it. It's it's the softness and the hardness of the law. You're trying to avoid the hardness of it as in you don't want to upset people more than necessary. If if you need to have a hearing then you simply have to have it. That's last resort. But you're using the softness of the law to guide people through. So um in, inevitably what happens is a relationship is broken down. And th- there's a lot of hurt there for some reason, whatever has gone on to wreck on the relationship. But um, the the focus has to be on the child who, who uh, is the subject of the proceedings and just making people aware of where the law starts, that the, the law's approach is that a child should be surrounded by as many loved people as possible. So everyone who wants to have a, a loving contribution to a child's life, mum, dad, grandparents, cousins, all of them, it, the more people you can surround the child with, the better. Um, and just knowing that that's where the law starting from helps. So if you're the parent who's kept the children post separation, knowing that there's a presumption that there should be good contact yeah. with the other parent, that helps to get it clear so that everyone's aware of where the law is starting from and that uh, it's not really a matter about your relationship breakdown that's separate That's what Brendan deals with in Syria Relief. But when we're dealing with the children, it's what's in the best interest of this child. And it's just offering the parent who has residency for the time being, the confidence to know that that's what this is about. This one issue is how can we best look after your child and move forward.
1: Yeah, and trying to make every party involved realise that, you know, that the child is really fundamentally the most important thing here. And that's what we're all here for. We're all here to secure some sort of best, Scenario situation for the child, and then everybody can start to rebuild right. and move on in their own direction. So, I suppose you know the law has a massive, massive role to play there for people, and it really does help. I hope, yes. in many situations, to allow people and um, to start to rebuild their lives and their families separately, or or whatever the case may be. Emotionally, what sort of challenges do you face? I know you've talked about uh, family breakdown, um, contact and residence disputes or whatever else and obviously those sort of issues carry massive emotional burdens and for the parents and all parties involved and for the children as well so what sort of emotional challenges do you face then and how how do you work how do you go about balancing those with the legal ones and sort of overcoming them in in the work that you do
0: there's no getting away from the fact that family law is emotional It, it simply is the the courts only become involved, and certainly barristers only really become involved when things have got bad enough that the parties can't come to an agreement between themselves. So, you, you try to encourage that as best you can. And there are many weeks spent trying to resolve things before um, they ever go into a courtroom for hearing. But, um, I think it's especially for the parent who's kept the children post separation, it's a leap of faith to having faith in the person that they fall in out with for some reason to go your relationship broke down with them but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't still want the best relationship with their child and it, it's reminding them of that and giving them the confidence to try it. But setting in place a framework as well that they feel they can do that and things can be tried for a while to, to build back up a relationship if there's been um, some absence for a while by the other parent. Um, Other other difficult, difficult there, for example, adoption cases would be terrifically yep. difficult because if you're for the the parent um from whom the child has been freed for adoption that's obviously very very sad for them because the uh, trust has taken the decision that adoption is really the only way forward
1: and always the last resort
0: always the last resort yeah. isn't it
1: yeah so um
0: that's incredibly emotional because by the time you get to the trust taking that decision generally things are quite bad and that, that can be an incredibly onerous position to be in because you're literally the last person standing between the parent and the child being taken away. So you have to make sure that they're heard properly, that what they want to say is heard, that everything's challenged, that can possibly be challenged. Um, it, it, that, that's one of the most emotional things. I think that's sad. On the other side of that, I think judges find uh, freeing applications hard but then they get to see the nice part of it which is the child getting adopted into a happy family later on. As counsel, we we actually step back after that. We're not involved beyond that. So we have to deal with that hard part and don't really get to see the nice part where the child actually hopefully is starting to progress into a new life.
1: Yeah, everything seems so difficult and emotionally onerous at those hearings, I'm sure. But then the product of it is... Uh, a great placement and a happy happy life and of fulfillment for the child but you don't ever get to see the that's product it. you just you're no. involved in the factory of the making the product but then the product goes out to the shop and you never get to see it again so
0: sometimes you can offer a little ray of hope right. in the sense of some little bit of contact and you know, that's subject to the adoptive parents views
1: for the birth parents yes right. Okay.
0: sometimes it depends on the individual case but i mean realistically, a child who's adopted at some point is going to want to know about their history yeah. and that can actually be a good thing. But also sometimes it's with, with, with vulnerable parents saying to them, you've got difficulties that you need to work through and it's not the end of the road. You know, you might, especially if they're young, they might want to have children in the future. But really, if we could work on improving your situation and your lot first, then any child who comes behind that is going to benefit from the improvements that you are able to make. So step back and take a little time to, to help yourself.
1: And I mean, in that sense, does your job give you, um, a really good insight into just human relationships and like the amount of, you know, love that a parent could have for a child, even if the parent is in absolutely no way fit or ready or in a position to provide the child with what they need, but they still absolutely adore it.
0: Absolutely, yes. You know,
1: and that it's just a real insight into, you know, just that el- that element of how much um, human relationships and interactions feed into this area of law.
0: Yeah. You get the full spectrum of yeah. society. You get people who are incredibly intelligent, have everything that life could ever offer you. But then you get people who maybe have d- difficulties with uh, mental health or educational needs, whatever, or people who've been brought up in really severe poverty and it's really hard for them. And you, you see um, how, how hard life can be sometimes. Um but before you even get to the stage of adoptions, there's other measures that you might want to identify as well as so supports that could be put in place to try and improve things. Because again, the starting point in family law is that the best people for a child to be with are their family, and there's a duty on the state to try and provide supports to improve that. So uh, before you would get to the stage of adoption, you would hope that all those avenues have been explored and that's your job as a lawyer to make sure that they are.
1: Like absolutely no stone unturned.
0: Exactly. That's yeah. it. Uh, adoption's definitely last resort.
1: And are you like? Do you do many adoption cases? Or are you involved in, like that line of work? Do you do a lot of that? Or
0: I've done a few, but um again, you spoke with Brendan. He would have more experience of those sorts of cases. Yeah.
1: Um. I mean, what Brendan talked about, he said, you know, ninety percent of the work that he does is family law work, and he, but he never um intended it really from the beginning to be that way. That was just sort of how it worked out for him, and not you know he's happy enough for that. and um, he told us, but. I suppose, from your point of view, how did you know, did you choose family law then? Whenever you were an undergraduate, or how did that come about?
0: I did choose to do family law whenever I was an undergraduate because, um, to to me, in law, there are there's two types of law: there's criminal law and there's civil law. Realistically, there should be a third type, which is family law. I know it's a form of civil law, but it's such a huge area it in be and of on itself, its own, out in its own, absolutely <laughs> recognized
1: by itself. It should be,
0: and it's it's an, a massive practice area. Um, So I chose it partly because uh, it was fascinating in its own right, but also I was very lucky that uh, Sarah Ramshaw, who I subsequently worked with, was the lady who took that course. Uh, So I was very keen to participate in anything that Sarah participated in, to be quite honest. But um, then whenever I uh, graduated and got the bar exam, I spoke to uh, some judges actually about who I might choose as my master. And they said, try family I mean, often you find whenever judges are appointed to the bench they end up going into family law first because um, it's it's such a wide area to get your brains in and you, you really see so many different types of people
1: the spectrum that you talked about absolutely
0: yeah. um, so they go in and they learn uh, how to deal with lots of different people there so Brendan became my master and what he did was largely ancillary relief so I, I saw a lot of that work uh, and ancillary relief work is excellent work if you can get it uh, at my stage, I'm going into year six. So yeah. it, it's not something that barristers of my uh, age really are doing a lot of, but certainly I think Brenton was called in the, the
1: 1996. 1996
0: think, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, plenty of barristers of his vintage would do it. And it, it's very rewarding work. Uh, it, it's much more, it's probably much more lucrative than other areas of work because by, by its nature, you're dividing up marital assets. Um so that certainly if you can do insure relief and mix in other areas of family law, it would be very rewarding.
1: And I mean, as you progress through your career, do you think that's something that you would look forward to? in like you're more whenever you get further up and you're more experienced then? it would It would be yeah, fun. Yeah, You would be interested. It, it would
0: give completion, for example, because I would often do divorces uh, and I, I've, I've been asked sometimes to do insure relief. But I've because it's such a nice area, I would always say actually maybe my master or. Someone like that would be better, just because uh, it's it's a niche all in and of itself. Um, but I, I certainly would like to see, uh, clients bring through, through divorce, the family proceedings about the, the kids, and and to relief, you knew that the full package yep. complete. Um, but
1: I mean, is it, if I was to ask you now you know, is there anything that you regret about specializing in family law?
0: No, it, it's so so rewarding. I mean, the, I can't emphasize enough the privileged position. You're in no other area of law. do You get such access to people's lives. You know everything warts and all about how their lives go. And it's fascinating to see that. I, I genuinely can't think of, you know, aside from maybe close friends, where you have an idea of how their lives are behind closed doors. But in, in this case, you actually get behind closed doors and you get to see it. And you you know you're getting the truth of it as well because it's an adversarial system. So there are now parties who disagree with each other about what's been going on behind closed doors. So you're going to get to the truth of it. That's something that I really enjoy is that you know you're going to hopefully get to the truth of what's been going on.
1: And do you find fulfilment in the amount that you help people?
0: Yeah, I think so. If you know that you can't help people as much in any other area of law in criminal law the best you can do is you mitigate the sentence you get the lowest sentence possible certainly you pr- you protect people all times you get really good results and you've protected an innocent person and i'm sure that feels well but that's not every case in civil law you fix whatever has been damaged to you know, injuries etc and you try your best for your client but in family law you actually get a live thing that continues to grow and develop down the line and you you get to influence that a lot and you're in a privileged position as a lawyer because people will listen to you and follow your advice and then the family life goes on and you hope that it gets better for them after that. Sometimes it doesn't. And guess what? They come back to you and you try and fix it then.
1: You've got like a real platform to try and instigate changes that are really going to hopefully benefit people for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um. Unless they come back. But if they come back, you just try again and, and keep trying and trying and trying until it That's works. It. And, and hopefully someday it will.
0: Yeah. There's a privilege too in seeing the difficulties that arise in family life. I mean, I'm only 27 but you, I hope that whenever I come to settling down to my own family, that I know I I see the difficulties that uh, other families have gone through. You know, much more mature people than me, and um, but you sort of see warning signs and the, how how not to do it if if you can possibly avoid it. Obviously, barristers and judges sometimes divorce and have these problems themselves. Of course, but um, there's there's a reward in having seen it all, hopefully before before i actually get to do it yeah I, that's
1: what i find so interesting the way you talk about um and back to what i said earlier about just the human relationships and just humans in general and emotions and all of the things that we go through in life and um the issues that we face and as families the issues that we try to overcome together and then sometimes we don't sometimes we do it's just i just find it personally the whole thing extremely fascinating and i think if you're in any way inclined um to help people to be interested in how other people need you and how you might be able to help other people through things that you have never gone through but that you can imagine going through because everyone can, then you're a perfect fit for family law.
0: That's it.
1: Regardless of whether or not you're a man or a woman and there's certainly absolutely no reason why men should feel, especially at undergraduate level, which is the level I'm at now, um, that it's not for them.
0: No. And certainly if you're male or female, it doesn't matter. But if if your interest is in advocacy and telling people's stories, there's no greater story to be telling because the, the intricacy of family law is so complex the requirements to improvise on the spot you know your client's saying they're in court and you're having to respond to stuff it, it, it's just it's so complex and involves so many skills you, you simply couldn't prepare for it
1: yeah um, when, whenever we spoke to brendan earlier um you know we spoke about how a, a brief might land on your desk and the paperwork you know might tell you everything that you need to know but you're not going to really get a full picture until you turn up and meet your clients and hear from them in person and sort of start to build the picture of their lives that that's right to the level to the stage that they've come to you at you know so that's just fascinating you know getting in the car in the morning and not really knowing what you're going to find whenever you get to work Every every day is different exactly. and every single case is different and all the circumstances are different yes so you can't get bored
0: no <laughs> you can't and um because of the emotional nature of it as well, you 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 hear their story generally a little bit before it. You don't know everything because there will be stuff that comes out in the hearing for the first time. But um, your job is to make sure it comes out as best as possible. A lot of clients will be all clammy. And go, well, I don't want to be in the witness box. This is horrible. I'm going to cry. The judge isn't going to believe me. You know, all this here. They're so worried, and they feel like they have to go in and make a speech. You know, that they're there to beg for whatever it is that they're trying to get. And your job is to calm them down and remind them. No, that's actually my job is to take you through this uh, and make sure that your story comes out and it's heard properly. That your tone's right, that you don't get upset, and you know, to relax you into it. And that that's a very rewarding job. And it can only be done with people. It's it's not like um, some aspects of other other aspects of civil law where on the papers you you know what the damage maybe is because there are medical reports and things like that there, and you can challenge that a bit, but. The dynamics of family law, or just something else compared to uh, any, well, compared to criminal law or any other aspect of civil law.
1: Yeah, and as you say, on tort in in regards to tort law, someone falls that they've broke their leg. That's they've broke their leg, and it's a broken leg for anybody. But someone is going through a divorce. They're always going to have a different like the the emotions that you feel in the heart or pain that you feel by a certain situation that happens to you. that's individual to you inside. Can't really be. Objectified like that, it's so subjective, and everybody deals with it differently, and processes it, processes it differently. So it's so different than right. other areas of law in that sense as well. Yeah, you know, because it's it just one size does not fit all.
0: No, and you you, you can't uh, really countenance just how wide your influence will go because if if you get a good setup for a family, then they go into society, they integrate, they've got you know uncles, aunts, grandmothers, grandfathers. The children go to school, how they behave in school will be affected by what home life is like for them, how well the teacher can teach, you know, all that there stuff. It, it really just seeps out everywhere. So it, it's a growing thing that you set it up as best you can and then you sort of stand back and hope that it it goes well for everyone.
1: So just to sum up, if you, if you want to get yourself a career that is in an area of law that's all-consuming, demanding, challenging, stimulating, fulfilling and rewarding, family law is definitely... An area of law for you then.
0: Absolutely. And there is a great need for more men to participate in it. There's, if, if you're looking for a niche to go into, there's one there, surely.
1: Thank you so much, Seamus, for coming in today and for, for chatting with me. And I hope um, our listeners to this podcast will be um, as inspired and motivated as I am to, to go and <laughs> go forth to a career at the bar and study family law. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to LawPod, an informed tech on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Alana Hughes and Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. Thanks to Seamus Mulholland, our guest, for joining us. You can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at QUB LawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website lawpod.org and have a look in the show notes about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Alana Hughes and this was LawPod.